Hi, Daniel here. This week's episode of The Ripple is sponsored by Deps, a private Maven repository service that I run. I created Deps because I wanted to use a Maven repository to host my company's private artifacts, but I didn't want to have to run a server. There's all the hassle of setting it up, keeping it patched, monitoring it, backing everything up. It was just too much work. Deps provides a cloud-hosted Maven repository, so you can get back to focusing on what really matters. If you enjoy this podcast, consider supporting me by signing up for a trial at deps.co. Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into Clojure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about testing Clojure with Arna Brasso, the creator of Culture. Welcome to the show, Arna. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So the first thing I'd like to talk with you about is this testing library or testing framework, testing tool. It's kind of a bit of all of the above, I think, Culture. So do you want to explain... What is it? What was the motivation for it? And I guess especially why in 10 years into Clojure, we've got a bunch of testing tools and libraries. This is you know a pretty well, well-trod path. So kind of the motivation for why something else. Sure. So yeah, I'll start with saying what it is, right? So I, I mostly refer to it as a test runner, which means that it, it finds your tests on, on the file system and then loads them and then executes them and then while it's doing that, reports its progress and then gives you the, the final result, whether the tests um, failed or passed. That's kind of, for me, that's sort of the job of you know, what a, a test runner does. I don't refer to it usually as a testing framework, although some parts of it are framework desk. But a testing framework, in my mind, usually sort of tells you how to write your tests. It, it gives you a syntax for writing your tests. And so we already have that. There's closure tests and there's other ones. Right. Um, in, I don't know. It's all like depending, you know, what you what you call what. But in my mind, those are are the the frameworks. And so Kachau works with these, and that that sort of directly leads into some of the the reasons that I I started building Kachau is that you know yes we we have ten years in all these these different tools and different libraries that help you write and deal with tests, but they're all sort of their own little islands. So there, there's, you know, closure test comes bundled with closure, but then over the years, some people have decided that they didn't like certain parts of closure test and then started writing their own alternatives to it. And some of these just give you a different syntax, like for instance, expectation or fudge are like fairly lightweight. They, they still sort of follow the, the conventions of closure test, but they just give you a new syntax. But then other ones come with this complete um, tooling around it. And it's sort of, you know, it's it's a complete opt-in. Like, for instance, Mitch, if you use Mitch, you go all in on the tooling, on the syntax, um, and you sort of let go of, of anything else that exists. And so the idea for Kaucha, the, the motivation for Kaucha really started when Tools Depths came out, Closure CLI came out. And so I was working on a project, and we were very early adopters of Closure CLI, and, but that meant that, yeah, we, we lost a lot of the stuff that we had before from Lining and before we were using Lining. In. So you have line tests um, that comes built in with Lining and that, that is sort of a, a test runner. It's a fairly uh, feature complete test runner. And for instance, it lets, you, it lets you filter your test down, right? So that's like, for instance, one feature. You can say, okay, I, now I only want to run this specific test. And so that's something that, you know, we were on Closure CLI now and like we no longer had that. And so the very sort of proto Kaucha was basically a single namespace that just kept growing and growing where I sort of, you know, hacked up our own first test runner so that we could have some of those features that I really felt we, we needed to have in there. Uh, one of the early things that was already in there was also profiling, which is something that, that I, I knew from our spec, from, from Ruby tools, that it'll tell you at the end of your test run, oh, these are your slowest tests. This is how slow your tests are on average. And so then... Uh, I guess spring last year, I had a, a period where I was traveling a lot and I decided to you know, turn this into a project itself and basically work on it every single time that I was on a train or a plane. <laughs> and that turned into Kaucha. And so, so the philosophy behind Kaucha is really that it's a, it's a pluggable tool. It tries to be very user-friendly. So it sort of and it has all those features that you, know, you, you might expect coming from other ecosystems. Because a lot of the Clojure tools, they sort of follow Clojure's philosophy of being relatively Spartan. You know, it's like the simple made easier, right? But it's like the focus is on the simple. Like if we can, you know, just simplify everything, that's great. But when it comes to end user tools, like a word that I really like to use is, is ergonomics. Like, you know, there's, there's an interface between you and a machine and you want that to be adapted to you as a human. 
And so I find like a lot of the tools really lacking in that respect. And so that's one reason I made Coucha. The other is that like, I realized that, okay, you know, now with Clojure CLI, I had to like reinvent a lot of stuff that had already been done because it was tied to lining and or it was tied to boot or it was tied to a specific testing library. And so I want to make something that was in all directions sort of adaptable and pluggable so that from now on, you know, when one of these new things comes along, we can write an adapter or write, you know, write a new main namespace or write a new test type that plugs into the existing Coucha and everything still works together. All the features are still there. Um, so all these things kind of fed into the idea of that I felt like, okay, you know, instead of iteratively improving on the stuff that's there, I think there might be a need for a new tool that's really built from the ground up with this pluggability, this extensibility, and this user-friendliness in mind. And yeah, that's how Coucha came to be. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. So I guess the things that I've noticed about Coucha, sort of two two things I want to highlight that I, I really appreciate. One is sort of, I think of it as a, a little bit like the Rosetta Stone for, for closure testing, hmm. where it sort of unlocks all of these different pieces that can all now work together, which I really like that we don't sort of have these Lambda Islands, you might say. Um, and we also have the focus on ergonomics, which is you know, really, really, I think, important and something that's, you know, people just, like, it has a really high return on investment focusing on ergonomics. Um, and Absolutely, so I really yeah. appreciate your work on it. I've been watching the repo and seeing all of the, just the little, you know, things that people probably wouldn't necessarily even realize or notice were were things that you did to smooth off the rough edges if they hadn't experienced the rough edges already right so that's really cool nice yeah glad to, glad you're enjoying it and the other part which we didn't kind of dwell too deeply on um, but i'm sort of interested in hearing more about is testing closure script because that's always been or at least for me personally i've spent a lot of time doing setting up different closure script testing frameworks and used karma quite a lot and just never really felt that happy with anything that I came up with it was always kind of a little bit flaky or slow or there was just never kind of never felt really natural in the same way that like my closure testing did so yeah when I saw that you were focusing on closure script as well I was yeah, really excited to see that too yeah, ClojureScript has been interesting and, and I think will still be, you know, a, a source for debate of like how, how best to approach that in, in Kaucha going forward. So there is a, a first implementation now, Kaucha CLJS, which can work with Node or, or with the browser. Um, and in theory, with, with any JavaScript environment that can provide you a ClojureScript REPL environment and a, a ClojureScript REPL. The interesting thing, but also the tricky thing there is that, you know, Kaucha is written in Clojure, and it has this pluggable, this plugin architecture. So the whole idea is that, you know, you can have different test types, the Clojure test, but also Cucumber, you know, uh, Mitch in the future, Clojure script, and that you can have these plugins that still work with all of them, and that you can also combine all of these in a, in a single test run. So say, you know, I have Cucumber tests, Clojure script tests, and Clojure test tests in my code base, and I can run them in a single go, and have a single, for instance, a single JUnit XML output that goes to my CI server that has sort of the results of everything because it's all dealt with this in this same process. So that's that's the philosophy, right? And so I had to figure out, okay, how am I gonna fit ClojureScript in there? Because ClojureScript support was really important for me because I really wanted to be, you know, your one-stop shop for for testing, where you know you drop this one tool in your repository, and no matter what you want to test. You know, you just configure it to test that other thing, but you don't need to learn other tools. You don't need to install other tools. And so what I came up with is uh, a system where, yeah, it spins up this ClojureScript REPL. So it's like a programmable REPL, which gives you responses as, as Clojure maps in the background. And then that REPL connects back over WebSockets to Kaucha and then Basically, communication in one direction goes by just evaluating things in the REPL and then maybe getting output and getting results back from there. And then any events that are emitted by Clojure test, or by ClojureScript test, 
So this is like, you know, begin test uh, var, end test var, begin test in s, end test in s, pass, fail, error. Like these are events that both closure test and closure script test use internally to then send to the reporter. And these are all routed over that WebSocket back to Kaucha. And so there's a lot of coordination there. And um, I w it, it's working surprisingly well, even though there are still still issues with it. Also, like a couple of people have asked for, for Shadow CLJS support, and I've talked with, with Thomas Heller about this, but that's completely not there yet. Although there, we've, you know, we've talked about ways that we might bring in that in there. There are some downsides to, to the current approach. Um, it's slower for one. But yeah, it was kind of the only thing that I could come up with that still allowed for the dynamic nature and the pluggable nature of Kaucha. Because all these different steps in the process, you know, a plugin could potentially, you know, want to hook in and maybe also change the flow of, of information. Say like at the very last minute, oh no, actually we want to skip this test based on something that happened before. And so those closure-based plugins should work with ClojureScript as well. So that really wasn't easy because what, what most ClojureScript test runners do is they first, they build a big blob, which contains all your tests and your <laughs> test runner. And then they, you know, they send that to Node or whatever JavaScript environment you're running. And, and then, you know, then it's just, it's just happening and you no longer have any control over the process, which also means that like, okay, if something blocks there or something, like it's very hard to figure out like where, you know, if you have like some kind of race conditioning and uh, race condition and, and your test suite just blocks and, and refuses to finish, like that's the kind of problem that I've run into more than once with some of these uh, yeah. test tools. It's like, yeah, where, where do you even start, right? Whereas like with the way that Kaucha is doing it now, like there's explicit timeouts at every level so that, okay, you know, it knows what it's executing. If a test doesn't return its result within a certain amount of time, it tells you that, okay, this test timed out. So it is kind of cool. And I'm, I'm very happy with, with how far I've gotten with it, but there's still some, some things to figure out. Uh, for instance, CLGSGS support isn't working, it seems. Um, and yeah, just in general, like, I chatted with Thomas, Thomas Helder about this because he's, he's much more knowledgeable about, you know, the ClojureScript compiler stuff, about potential ways to improve this. And I'm kind of hoping that, you know, people that are really invested in, in more on the ClojureScript side of things step up and kind of look at my code and, and tell me, you know, where I'm just doing things that are not wise. But yeah, so far, I mean, people are using it and, and it's working. I don't know. I guess I have very mixed feelings about this thing, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm amazed that it's working and that it's working so well. And at the same time, I feel like there is still so much room for improvement there and I'm, I'm a little out of my depth. So I'm kind of curious, like, and I'm really hoping, you know, I can get some, some involvement from other smart people there to, to help figure this out. Yeah. Well, I hope people who are listening, if they have the skills, take a look and, and help out. Are there any other sort of particularly tricky parts of Kaucha that you sort of quite proud of uh, now that they're done? Yeah, um, there are a couple of tricky parts of Kaucha. I think that one of the trickiest things has been that even though Kaucha is test library independent, so it, you know, in theory you can make it work with, with anything, um, but it's, it's done that still using the foundation of closure test. Yeah. So writing a new test type for Kaucha basically means adapting your test type to emit things that are more like what Closure Test expects. And that I guess that made it easy for me to bootstrap. But in hindsight, I don't know, if I would do it over, I would probably like give Kaucha its own abstraction layer at that level and then write an adapter for Closure Test as I would for anything else. Because certain things about Closure Test are just not really meant to be extended. I mean, Closure Test has some mechanisms for, for extending it and, and for sort of building your own adaptations on top of it. But the abstractions break down. It's not really meant to do that, you know, at any considerable length. And so, yeah, there's some, there's some actual, like, there's a monkey patch, patch namespace in Kaucha, <laughs> which is a term that you don't hear a lot in, um, in the Closure space. But so we, yeah, we patch some, some functions in, uh, in Closure Test to capture certain bits of information that we just would lose otherwise and, and things like that. So for instance, one thing is like Kaucha supports um, fail fast. This is something that I consider a, a really essential feature in a test runner. So you can say, you know, dash dash fail fast. And then as soon as a single assertion fails, um, even if, you know, you have a desk test with 100 assertions, 
if number seven fails and it, it will just, it won't do anything else. It just, it stops there. It tells you this is the failure. So you get your feedback as, as soon as possible. And yeah, without patching things, we, we couldn't do that because, you know, you can't, you can't interrupt a dev test when, when a failure happened that way. Um, so the way that, that it's done now is that we rewrite or we, yeah, we hook into some of these functions to, to cause a specific exception, which then stops everything there and then that get caught somewhere else. So, so things like that, it's been interesting, but all in all, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've managed to work around uh, the, the biggest issues. The, the other tricky part has been that Kaucha from a tooling perspective, so say you're writing a Kaucha plugin or say you're writing some, you know, you like you want to base your editor's testing support on Kaucha. Kaucha tries to give you a very functional interface. So it's all very data driven. You know, you start with a test configuration that turns into a test plan, tells you exactly what it's going to do. And then at the end, you get a test result. And all of these are just big nested closure maps, which is all fair and well, except that, you know, running tests and reporting on them is a, is a very imperative process. And in particular, like the, the thing with when you're doing something in a functional way, when you say, okay, data in, data out, um, if something goes wrong halfway, you have nothing. <laughs> So I, I saw a talk this year uh, at, a, at a Ruby conference. Avdi Grimm did a, a super interesting talk, and he basically talks about this transaction fallacy that you know certain things are processes, but we think of them as transactions, and that's one of the things where where you see that is happening that you know something goes wrong halfway, and instead of still having your your intermediate results, you have nothing, and so Kaucha sort of does this double bookkeeping where. You know, it expects things to run in a functional way and give you a result back. But if not, uh, for instance, if the, if the user hits control C, then it still wants to know what happened so far so that it can still, before exiting, print any failures. And so it kind of keeps that separately, also kind of a, a mutable history of what's happened. And so, yeah, these, these kind of things, it's all been, been quite interesting to figure this out. And yeah, There's still, still room for improvement, but I'm, I'm really happy with the results so far. Yeah, I'm very happy with it too. <laughs> it looks, it's, it's really great. And another thing I've appreciated is the documentation that you've done for Kaucha. Um, you know, it's a pretty young project, um, but, you know, it's got very full featured documentation on how to use it, how to extend it, how to sort of, you know, run it in all these different ways, uh, using all of these features, which I think is something that sometimes there's a lot of great closure tools and libraries out there where half the features are just sort of tucked away in an undocumented namespace. And unless you know to look there or you, you know, have found out from someone else, you may not even know all of these different tips and tricks and features that are available. So I commend you for, for all of this documentation writing because it, it really makes a difference, I think. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, that's, that's one of the things, you know, like I, I I like to pride myself to some extent in, you know, like I'm good in coding, but but I, I'm also good just with, with language in general. I really enjoy writing. I really enjoy, you know, like playing with language. And yeah, like I've also done, you know, professional technical writing and uh, it's a separate skill and it, it takes time. And, and yeah, that's a lot of libraries. Like it's it's often more fun to to work on the coding than to work on the documentation for a lot of people at least. But it is it is super important. And, and yeah, I also... I don't know. I, I had high goals with Kaucha in terms of adoption, and I, I knew that that was not going to happen unless it had really decent documentation. So the documentation is still a work in progress. I'm also still hoping to get much more out of this Cucumber-based test slash documentation. Uh, but yeah, there's already a good, decent set of documentation to start with. Um, I think all the, the main features are there. Yeah, and that's all on CLJDoc. That's the primary place. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I've been making good use of, of CLJDoc. Really, really happy with what Martin's doing there. And yeah, so that that's also kind of my, my benchmark. Like I always have to release, kind of click through the docs on, on CLJDoc and really happy to see how nice they look there. It's, it's, it's a joy, you know, to like write that markdown and write those doc strings and then to see them show up. <laughs> Uh, all nicely formatted and interlinked and linkable, and it's it's cool. Yeah, I I I think that um, you know, Serial Docs sort of been one of the 
surprises of 2018 for me sort of came out of nowhere wasn't really expecting it or thinking about that very much and you know Martin's done done a great job with that so um you've been working uh over the last three months in fact finishing in a day or two yeah you've been working on uh Kauchar through closures together funding yes um so uh yeah i wanted to i guess just talk about that maybe here I guess what that did for you or what that kind of allowed you to do that you couldn't just do in your in your own spare time on the weekends and evenings. Absolutely. No, closures together, like the funding for the last three months, I think has really helped propel Kacha forward. Cause yeah, like I said, like I had high goals and I still like there's still a way to go in, in terms of adoption and everything. But the fact that for instance, like, you know, there's there's closure script support now, which was a, a really important key to unlock to really you know, put this in more people's hands and make it sort of a generally uh, usable tool. There's boot support now, which uh, again, so you like you can use it from Closure CLI, from Lining, and from Boot. Quite a bit of work has gone into into Cucumber support because I'm I'm using that on Kacha itself, and so all these things. Like, I mean, I would have gotten to them eventually, but there's no way I would have been to the point where I am now without this funding. So, yeah, I think. Like looking at the project now and looking at it three months ago, like I, I remember three months ago when funding announcement was was done, a lot of people hadn't heard of Kaucha yet. It was still a fairly young project, and it already was quite usable, but definitely didn't have the scope that that it has now. And I, I think some people were a little skeptical um, that that funding went to <laughs> to Kaucha and not to to certain other projects, which which also absolutely like I I was a little surprised myself, but uh, I hope you know like that. At this point, three months later, that I've managed to convince that, you know, this project does have really big potential and that, you know, the funding really has made a, a big difference. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all I can say about that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Uh, and there's a couple of companies in particular um, who've really contributed a lot to help closures together. Those companies are Pitch, who are building a presentation software for individuals and teams. Uh, Juxt is a consulting company that delivers software applications and platforms using Clojure. Matosin is the first Finnish software house specializing in Clojure. Adgoji is a media agency that have built their real-time bidding platform using Clojure. And Funding Circle connects small businesses who want to borrow with investors who want to lend in the US, uh, UK, Germany, and the Netherlands. So big thanks to them and all of the other members of Closures Together who've helped fund Anna's work. And also uh, the last quarter, uh, DataScript has been the other one that's been been funded. So yeah, big thanks to everyone there. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, so we were just talking about Martin Kletch and there's something else that you two have been working on. You're both uh, in from Berlin. Is that that's correct? Uh, we're both in Berlin. Um, Martin's German. Uh, he's in from not too far from Berlin. Uh, I'm from Belgium uh-huh. originally, but I've been based in Berlin for six, seven years. And yeah, we got this really neat uh, closure community going in, in Berlin, which is, is really nice. So um, tell us about this conference that you're running called Heart of Closure. So Heart of Closure uh, is a conference that's happening uh, coming summer, uh, European summer at least. I know it won't be summer for you, but uh, so early August 2019, 2 and 3 August, this will happen in Leuven in Belgium. So Mm -hmm. we we chose this location, not necessarily because Belgium has an amazing closure scene, because the closure scene in Belgium is, is still quite small, but because it's uh, it's quite central in Europe, and so we really want to try to get people from all over Europe together, sort of on uh, on neutral grounds. It's a really cool venue. It's very reachable, very accessible. So it's a five minute walk from the the Leuve train station, which in turn is only fifteen minutes from Brussels airport by train. Plus, you have train connections, which you know for environmental reasons we we highly recommend people to take. So you can take the train from London, you can take the train from Amsterdam, you can take the train from Paris. From Berlin, if you don't mind sitting on the train for a day, I sometimes do it. It's it's quite comfortable. The idea for the conference, first of all, we want to sort of approach it a little bit more holistically in, in terms of topics. So this isn't just going to be strictly tech talks or talks about closure per se, although, of course, you know, we'll, we'll have a whole bunch of those as well. But we also want to touch about on things like, you know, the, the impact of our work as programmers, as engineers. And the, the responsibility that we have, you know, so code software is eating the world, is influencing people's lives 
more and more every day. And so there's a lot of ethical implications about that we need to be thinking about. Also, as technologists, um, we, we have an important role to think about, you know, how to try to limit the, the effects of climate change and, and do things about that. So there's lots of different ways, um, plus also our own communities. There, there's still a lot of work there. There's issues, there's diversity that needs to be better. So all, all of these topics, um, you know, we, we kind of want to get in there as well to really sort of spark discussion and, and give people food for thought. That's one thing that, that we really want to do with that. The other thing is there's going to be room for activities. So it's not, you know, like back-to-back talks um, for two days. Uh, one of the days is going to have a really long siesta break in the afternoon where you can basically, you know, go and socialize and there will be activities set up. So activities will be partly organized by us, but there will also be an online app where anybody can basically put up an activity. And this can really be anything, you know, this can be like, oh, you know, let's let's go play Ultimate Frisbee for an hour or let's go visit this museum or let's play board games or let's do yoga or let's have a roundtable discussion about, you know, something closure or um, let's just go and take a nap. You know, that can be an activity like <laughs> there. Yeah, there will be this long siesta break. One of the evenings will will end a little sooner and uh, just sort of encourage people to go into town. So Leuven is, is uh, it's a little bit of a smaller city. It's a university city. But yeah, it'll be midsummer. So there won't be that many students around. It's quite old. It has one of the oldest uh, Catholic universities in, in Europe and has this really nice uh, medieval town center that's largely car free. Hmm. So we, we really think it'll be a really nice place for people to sort of explore, hang out. Um, Belgium also has this really nice culture, especially in summer, um, you know, of having a lot of outdoor seating at bars and cafes. So you can, you know, go and sit outside and enjoy the nice weather. So all of that, we kind of, you know, we want to bring together and yeah, have this, this really nice mix that's going to be hard of closure. So we, we've been working on it um, from already start of this summer. CFP is currently open, uh, should still be open by the time people hear this. So CFP is going to close early March. So uh, yeah, if you go to heartofclosure.eu, you can find all, out all about that. Um, we're also still looking for sponsors. We found already a good bunch of sponsors because yeah, the other thing is we want to make it affordable. So we're hoping to have ticket prices around 100 euros, maybe even less if possible. For a two-day conference, I think that's that's quite reasonable, and that should sort of make it, you know, democratic. Also, you know, people that that are maybe still studying, or that you know, whatever their their situation is, or that that are currently unemployed. Like we, we really don't want to have too many barriers uh, of entry. We'll have scholarship tickets as as well, of course. But yeah, so all all of these things mean that we're, we're quite reliant on on sponsorship. Uh, we have maybe about two thirds of of the necessary budget. Uh, locked in great which is yeah which is pretty good already but so yeah we're still trying to secure a few more sponsors so if you hear this and and your company is interested to reach out to uh, we're we're hoping to get about 200 250 people together there so um yeah if if your company wants to be in front of those uh, those people then do get in touch as well great yeah and there's also a mailing list if you're interested in yeah, you want to go to this? The tickets aren't available just yet, are they? No, no. So ticket sales, ticket sales hasn't started yet. We're still waiting for some suppliers, for instance, for the catering, hoping to have a little bit of a better idea what that's going to cost per head, and then uh, yeah, we'll we'll decide on the final ticket prices uh, and and get uh, get the ticket sales going. But indeed, if you want to be the first to know about that, go to our website. It's hardofclosure.eu, and then you can get onto the mailing list, and then uh, yeah, then you'll be the first to know. Great. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it uh, it's a long way from New Zealand, but... It is a little bit of a way out, yeah. But yeah, it sounds like a really, really nice uh, place and a nice time of year to be going to you know, spend some time in the sun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the talks. Uh, at the, will the talks be online, do you think, afterwards? Yeah, we do. We do plan to to record and uh, and release the talks Fingers crossed that that all goes well, but uh, but yeah, that's definitely the intention. Great. And so something that you've been working on for uh, quite a bit longer than Culture and Heart of Closure is uh, Lambda Island, uh, mm-hmm. which is your closure educational videos. Um, so do you want to tell people a little bit about, about that, where it's at, um, kind of what the goals are of Lambda Island? Yeah, so um, Lambda Island uh, is something that I've been doing for, for the last couple of years. 
my great uh, labor of love. So, so I create videos about closure, about various aspects of closure and closure scripts, uh, tooling, all kinds of things, building things, libraries. Uh, there's a whole series about uh, React Reagent, Reframe. There's uh, Datomic in there and much more. There's 40-something episodes at this point. So you can find those on lambdaisland.com and then people can either take a subscription or uh, you can also just buy single episodes and then you also get, if you do that, you also get download links uh, if you want to watch them offline. And so that's, yeah, that's that's something that I've been working on for the last uh, two and a half years. It's been an interesting project. Like I get a lot of very positive feedback on it. Like the people that are on it uh, really uh, seem to appreciate, you know, just sort of the, the level of quality, the, the attention to detail. You know, just last week I was I was talking to someone and, and she was like, yeah, you know, like I've had a few times that my colleagues pointed out on, on pull requests, like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And then, you know, those were all things that I learned at Lambda Island. <laughs> so, and it's it's been a lot of fun to, you know, it's kind of, it's it's a luxury. It's It's nice to, you know, to be able to, pick a topic and just really dig into it, make sure you understand, you know, a library in and out and then try to, you know, fit it all in a 10 or 15 minute video, you know, very understandable, very clear. It's a lot of work and uh, yeah, I won't lie. It's, it's, it's quite, quite draining at times, but yeah, it's very, very gratifying as well. Um, and so, yeah, I've been trying, the, the, the idea was really to turn this into a business. So I, I started out, I, I had a certain amount of savings from my last job. And I was kind of hoping to, you know, before those savings ran out, to be able to live of it, to be profitable, basically. That never quite happened. And so within, you know, I don't know, let's say six or eight months later, I was seriously stressing out about finances and started on taking freelance work again. And since then, it's just been this this balancing exercise of, of you know, putting time into Lambda Island versus putting time into consulting or open source stuff or heart of closure, various other things. I'm sort of in a, in a perpetual state of guilt for not releasing more videos, but I've also come to accept that a little bit more. So it, it used to really stress me out, but then, yeah, I realized that, you know, the world didn't, didn't uh, collapse and, and people didn't start shouting at me when I, when I didn't put out a new video for a while. And so I, I quite try to keep things going, but like for instance, now the last couple of months with with Kaucha and Heart of Closure, it's been very quiet on Lambda Island. I do have a script in the pipeline that I hope to turn into a video very soon, and I'm, I'm still not sure where the where the, the ideal balance is between this and and my other activities. But I'm keeping it going for you know in the meanwhile, um, people seem to like it, and I do hope that this will continue to be a, a good resource for the closure community. And it, it has does, done a lot of good for me as well to just sort of establish my, my public profile. So it definitely does feed into my consulting business, uh, which I hope to do uh, more of again in the future. So it's an interesting journey. I guess I'm still not really sure where, where it's going, but but the journey is all that matters, right? Yeah, I definitely know those those feelings <laughs> quite well. How long does it take you to write? Your your videos are quite short. Mm. How long does it take you to produce you know, a 10 or 20 minute video? Longer than one would expect, but it, it really varies. I mean, the, the writing is really the hard part. You know, like once I have a script ready, if I really, you know, if I'm focused and I don't have anything else happening, you know, I can like, I can basically record and edit a 10 minute video in a day. I mean, that's pushing it like a day and a half is, is a little bit more comfortable, but that's assuming that, you know, like I have a very polished script ready that I don't have to do like last minute changes to the script when I'm like halfway recording and realize that, that, you know, something wasn't right or I need to explain something better. But the researching an episode and then writing a script for it, it's open-ended. I'd say typically four or five days, but it can be much longer as well. I mean, it, it also, it has all the, all the downsides of writing, you know, that you just you just get blocked sometimes because you don't know like which angle to take or how to express yourself. So sometimes it, it takes much longer. But yeah, I'd say, you know, like full time, like a 40 hour week is easily what it takes to turn out a 10 to 15 minute video. Right. Yeah, that's quite a large investment of time. Yeah, it is. It is now. I don't know. I've, I've, I, I aim for a very high level of polish with, with Lambda Island. Um, now, I've also started doing a little bit uh, or experimenting a little bit with unscripted videos. 
So I also have a, a YouTube channel where so far I've mostly been posting the free Lambda Island videos, sort of reposting them on YouTube. And also if I have like recordings of, of talks, like sometimes I do talks at the local meetup um, and I'll just you know record my audio and my screen and, and put that on there. But so I've, I've experimented lately a little bit with, uh, with uh, streaming and then recording and putting those recordings out on YouTube, just unscripted. And I don't know, I, that's something I, I definitely want to experiment with a little bit more. I mean, the, the downside of that is that, like, for instance, I did a video about, uh, you know, how to set a Figwheel main with, with CIDR and, uh, and Closure CLI. And, like, yeah, if, if I would have done that as an actual Kauchai episode, that would have taken me a couple days of work at least, but it would have resulted in, like, a very concise 10-minute video that tells you exactly what you need to know. Whereas now it's, I don't know, close to an hour, I think, or, you know, with much more like, oh yeah, right. I'm, I need to get this first. Wait a second, you know, doing that there. Like, so it's, it's a very different format. It's much less polished, but it is much quicker to produce. So yeah, I definitely want to, want to experiment a little bit more with, uh, with streaming in the future. Great. Yeah. And another thing that's come under the Lambda Island banner is, uh, well, you've done several guides, I think, uh, but one that I really like is the the guide to closure ripples. That's uh, are there other guides actually? I should double check. No, so there, yeah, there was an idea to do more guides. I actually have a whole bunch of notes together about about testing. I mean, this is obviously a topic that's dear to my heart, even well before um, I started working on Kaucha. So I have a, an org mode file with just lots and lots of notes about closure testing that I was hoping at some point to to turn into one of these guides. But no, so far it's also just the REPL one and it's it's slowly but surely been been getting stale. It was a really cool thing to do. I mean, but it was a lot of work and I guess it was kind of intended as a content marketing for Lambda Island. And to really serve that purpose, I probably should have approached it a little bit differently. And now keeping it up to date has, uh, I mean, it would be great for the community, but but really like I have so much on my plate already that that's kind of low priority. So I've kind of just been been trying to tell people that hey you know if if you see something here that's out of date like please 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 make a pull request because it will just benefit everyone. But in meanwhile, Valentin has also written a, a different REPL guide sort of from a bit of a different angle, which is actually published on the Closure site, uh, the Closure.org, I guess that is. Yes, yes. Which is talks about a lot of things that that my REPL guide doesn't talk about, uh, and I think is really well written and, and a really good uh, resource for the community. So I don't know if it depends what people are looking for. I guess mine tried to be more sort of an overview of all the different REPL things out there. Uh, whereas I think Valentin's guide is much more uh, or much more useful as a, as a, you know, like what's a REPL and what do I do with it? Yeah. I think they're both great. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess they're, they're complimentary. Um, I mean, yeah, well, well, Valentin did tell me that, that, yeah, he was happy to have my, my guide around when he was working on his. So. Yes, uh, yeah, we all we all help out each other that way. Great, and so the the Lambda Island guides are up on GitHub, so someone could just make a pull request there. I'll drop a link. To that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're right right there. They're they're basically just big big org mode files, which then I have some scripts to turn them into a the the HTML that you see on on the Lambda Island side, but then you can also download them as uh, as EPUBs or as PDFs, so you can read them on your on your e reader. So uh, that's just kind of one of the cool things of, of starting with uh, with org mode. Great, yeah, that's um, very versatile tool. Um, mm -hmm. I've used it a tiny little bit, and I can see uh, <laughs> that it goes pretty deep, pretty quickly. Absolutely, yeah. So another thing that you uh, have worked on, it sort of had had a, a couple of incarnations, but and I was when I was doing the research, um, I was kind of surprised to see how. Recently, uh, this was reincarnated, but Closureverse 2.0 was launched in December of 2017, so just over like 14 months ago. Uh, I've been really uh, pleased. That's kind of been another one of those sort of things that came out of nowhere. I wasn't really expecting or looking for it, but it's been been an awesome place for people to talk about closure stuff, to have sort of a, a bit more of a long form discussion than the, yeah. the closure and Slack. Um, so yeah, do you want to tell people who may not be aware of what's the history of that? What's your sort of goals and thoughts around Clojureverse? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Clojureverse, uh, that's at Clojureverse.org, I believe. Um, yes, Clojureverse.org. So it's, it's a discourse um, 
Space Forum. So Discourse is this open source forum software that's sort of aimed to, you know, be a, a modern replacement of, of, you know, the old school uh, web forum format. And um, I, I set up this, this Discourse instance originally uh, just for Chestnut. So Chestnut was sort of my first uh, big open source closure project was a, a template for uh, for front plus backend, like closure plus closure script uh, web applications. And so I've always been a fan of, you know, just old school mailing lists. And so I was looking for, you know, a mailing list for uh, for Chestnut. Like where, where can I host or where can I set up some kind of good mailing list instance um, that ideally would also have a web interface so that, you know, it's a little bit, you know, modern as well in that sense. And after looking around and considering a lot of options, it turned out that Discourse with, you know, a few settings enabled, you can basically treat a single, you know, subforum, a single category as Discourse as a mailing list. You can, you know, get email updates and, and reply to posts uh, just all over email and post new posts over email. And so I set that up and um, and that was then the, the Chestnut uh, mailing list. But then, yeah, it just seemed silly to be running this whole instance just for myself. So I, I kind of reached out to some other projects like, okay, you know, if you want a mailing list for your project, you know, we can just make a subforum for, for your project. And so we renamed it Closureverse, and it just ran like that, and it had a handful of projects on it, all very low traffic. Uh, also just, yeah, not, not that many people knew about it. I think also, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm old school like that, but I think not that many project maintainers feel the need to really have a mailing list these days. Like, people just use GitHub issues, I think, or... I don't know, people use Google Groups for a lot of things, which I, for, for various reasons also don't really like. So we had this Closureverse forum sitting around, which is very low traffic, but that was fine. You know, like a couple of people were on there and it did its job. And then one day someone asked on Reddit, I believe, you know, they compared it to the Elixir Discourse instance, uh, which is, is super lively, had all these different categories, all kinds of stuff happening. And it's like, okay, you know, like why is there so much stuff happening on the Elixir one? and not on the closure one. And that was kind of the impetus to decide like, okay, you know, maybe we should actually try to turn this into a bit more of a proper thing. And so, yeah, we, we polished it up a bit. I think around that time we gave it a, a better logo. We set up uh, like GitHub and Twitter-based logins, uh, set up HTTPS, I think. I mean, there are various things like that, just kind of, you know, like, okay, let's actually make this a little bit nice. We, we set up a whole bunch of categories, uh, the one that you still see today, and then, yeah, made an announcement post that, okay, now it's uh, Closureverse 2.0, and this is this is the philosophy of this community. That was also kind of important for me to sort of be, be very deliberate about that. It's like, okay, you know, like we want to be an open and friendly and welcoming space where, you know, even when you're a beginner or, or whatever, like, you know, you should be able to come here and feel appreciated and feel welcome and we just put that out there. And it's it's been amazing, like, because, yeah, like, in the beginning, you know, we we tried some things to sort of keep traffic going and to keep conversations going. But lately, I mean, I, I check in every so often, but I'm not even that active on it. Um, but it's it's just running. And, and like you said, like, there's it's, it fills this really nice gap of long-form discussion. And you can really be thoughtful and, and give people time, you know, asynchronous communication, because um, Slack is nice, but I don't know. I feel Slack is for people who like to be always on, who just like that buzz of like, you know, constantly checking what's up there. And I, I'm more someone like I like to, you know, turn that stuff off, get my work done. And then every so often, you know, like go and see what's what's happening and, and pitch in where I, where I want to. So, so yeah, that's, that's the history of Closureverse. Yeah, there's a couple that I've really enjoyed. Uh, one in particular was sharing the nitty gritty details of your Closure workflow. Hmm. That was uh, ginormous. It had tons of people sort of sharing all about how they work with closure, and, and that just filled like this gap. But I'd always kind of wondered, like, am I doing like I'm working at the Ripple? Like, am I doing this the best way that I could be doing it? Like, how do other people do this kind of stuff? And just being able to see all of the different thoughts and ways where, like, that probably you probably wouldn't get that on like the closure mailing list. Like, that would maybe be a little bit too noisy or not quite sure like i think that's the nice thing about about closure versus like you can start a topic and if someone's not interested they can just scroll past it they're not kind of getting their email inbox filled up with with things that they're not so interested in so 
Yeah, that was that was a really amazing thread. Like that kept going forever, and I, in the end, I also didn't read every single reply, but there was definitely some some really interesting stuff in there. Because yeah, like when you're doing closure, I don't know, closure is one of these languages that's just like your interactions with the system, how you know how you approach development is this very interactive thing that's a little different from from most other languages. And it's something that you don't see when you look at other people's code. And so I thought it was really great to sort of, you know, make that make that open, make that visible. It's like, okay, you know, like, hey, this is how people really do closure. You know, if you're if you're coming from another language, you know, like maybe maybe consider this 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 perspective. And also B, like even given that, like there's still so much variation in in how people do it and they're they're all valid. And then finally, like it's all preserved, it's all on there because that's, I guess, my other big frustration with uh, Clojure and Slack is that, yeah, it's it's all ephemeral, you know. There's now, I don't know, like a, a, a one week or a ten day window in which uh, messages are there, and so we we try to archive them. Uh, so there's there's this Clojure and uh, Slack log that that I inherited from someone else that I'm also trying to to keep running and keep up there so that at least these things are indexed by Google and they're they're searchable. But it's kind of like as a knowledge base, even with that, even with that history that, you know, we've painstakingly are trying to preserve, it's not a great repository of knowledge. It's kind of, it's very noisy. It's very hard to find answers to questions that have been asked and answered before. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm super happy with uh, what, what's happened with Clojureverse. I think it, it, it was, uh, it's shown that, that it was really a gap that needed filling. Yeah, I agree. So you've kind of got, a bunch of projects you've got going on here and kind of the common theme is kind of serving the community. I would say, you know, there's, they're sort of all sort of benefiting a lot of people. What's kind of the motivation there? Why are you putting so much time and effort into the collegiate community? Good question. Yeah. Why, why do we do all this stuff? Right. So when I came to closure, I was coming from Ruby, right? Like so, so my, my last the, the the previous language that I was really invested in for many years was Ruby, and I still think Ruby has has one of the most amazing communities of any programming community out there. The warm welcomingness at at Ruby events, the general you know understanding that both our online and offline spaces there's there's certain norms of how how people behave, and you know that it's. I've made so many friends and I've had so much good time in that community. But I've come to Clojure because I do believe that that technically speaking, Clojure is, is superior. I don't think Clojure is, is the, you know, the final answer, but I think you know, it's sort of an extremely pragmatic approach with everything that we know so far to, you know, to just building better technology. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I love Clojure. Just think that Technically, it strikes that balance of being, you know, flexible and, and user-friendly. Like, it's not ideologically extreme. It sort of, it hits a middle ground in many ways. But at the same time, there's a very deliberate philosophy behind it that really tries to encourage elegant systems. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Also coming, like, basically, Emacs was my, my gateway drug to Lisp. And so I, I love all of that. And so I just, I just want to have all of that, you know, like, and I think Clojure already has a really good community and I, I want to su- keep supporting that and, and make that even better so that people feel welcome there and that they feel like, I mean, I just would find it heartbreaking if people feel the same way about Clojure as a community, as a, as a technology, but feel that they, they wouldn't or don't fit in or wouldn't feel welcome in, in this community. And so sort of through, through all my work, I'm trying to, to, I guess, promote closure as a technology and then also make closure as a community space even more friendly and accessible. And so a lot of my, my open source work, I guess, is uh, inspired by, by sort of needs that I see. I mean, it's still, it's still a smaller community compared to, you know, say Ruby or, or definitely compared to something like JavaScript or whatever. Like it's, it's a smaller community. It's growing. I do believe it is still growing but it's probably always going to be a little bit niche. And that just means that we don't have that massive manpower that, for instance, JavaScript has. You know, they, they can, you know, they come up with big new tools every week, which perhaps also isn't great. But a lot of them do, you know, a lot of amazing stuff. And, and in, in Clojure, it's very often just sort of waiting until someone do, does it unless you do it yourself. And um, I guess 
yeah, I'm just of, of the idea that more often than not, you, you should just, you know, get your hands dirty and, and do it yourself. And of course, yeah, all the open source that I, that I put out under Lambda Island does also kind of serve a little bit as a, as a marketing vehicle, both for, for Lambda Island, like the, the educational stuff, and also for my own sort of consulting and, and other stuff that I do in, in the closure space. So I also try to put out good examples out there of, you know, how, how I like to see closure code being done. I try to make it all well tested, you know, good API designs, all, all of that stuff. So I guess it's kind of, yeah, creating software the way, the way I like to see it. Great. So there's a lot of points of action or calls to action for people. They can hire you. Where, where would they hire you if they wanted to hire you to work on some code for them? So as far as hiring is concerned, I'm still a little bit open of what, what 2019 is going to look for me. Um, so last fall, I decided to cut my consulting down a little bit and focus on, on Lambda Island again. I kind of figured that, okay, you know, if I really try to consistently put out some good new content, uh, kind of see, you know, if I can get some new growth onto the platform and get some more income that way. But then I got the Couch Hop funding and then most of my time has been going into Couch Hop. So that didn't really materialize. And so now for 2019, I mean, like I talked about before, I'm still kind of seeking what what's the best benefit. But I do feel like I really want to start engaging with with companies again and sort of get involved with, you know, interesting things that people are doing, especially if companies are building products with closure and they feel like they are going to want to grow their teams in the near future, then I really would like to hear from them and see what I can do from them for them getting involved in their code base sort of as a as a consultant you know looking at their their tooling at their setup at their testing that's that's stuff that I've all done before that I'm quite good at but also like seeing what their hiring needs are if their people need training if their new new hires need training figuring out things that you know I can use my my expertise as a as a coach and as a as a teacher to help them with that, uh, I'd be I'd be really interested to see what what's possible there. So, yeah, people can shoot me an email at arna at uh, lambdaisland.com, and I'd be I'd be super stoked to hear about what people are doing with closure and and what I can do for them. Great, and there's also Heart of Closure conference. So if you can sponsor the conference, that'd be good. If you want to submit a proposal, you could do that. You can also sign up for the mailing list. And then, of course, uh, Lambda Island itself, you can sign up for a membership. One thing I noticed on the Lambda Island site was a reminder that a lot of companies have education budgets for their staff to use to you know, learn things at work on, on their work's dollar. So if you've got an education budget and you work with Clojure, then consider you know, buying a pack of licenses for Lambda Island. Cause, uh, yeah, it's, it's- yeah, that's a good point. So talk to your manager, talk to your boss. They might want to sponsor your subscription either for you alone, or maybe they're even interested in, in getting a, a team package for you and your colleagues. On the other hand, um, if you don't have a boss at the moment, if you're a student or if you're unemployed, or even if you're living in a country that has a significantly lower uh, purchasing power than, say, you know, Western Europe or, or North America, uh, then shoot me an email. Like I have a policy that I basically give 50% discount to whoever asks it for whatever reason. Uh, basically assuming that whoever goes out of the way to contact me about it probably needs it more than I do. So if for any reason you feel like that discount would really help you out, then just get in touch and I'll immediately just send you a, a discount code. No questions asked. Great. Well, thanks very much for all that you do. And I look forward to especially seeing this conference uh, coming off. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, thank you. And, and thank you too for the REPL, for ClojureScript Together, for, for all the stuff that you're doing. Um, and, and really happy that uh, I managed to get on here because I've been really enjoying the podcast so far. So thanks a lot. Great. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. <laughs>